Okay, we're recording. Hi, everybody. This is Talia. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. (laughs) She is a number of different things. She's an entrepreneur, a writer, and a creator, a very multifaceted woman, very fascinating. Um, And of course, like most guests, I did find her on TikTok, my favorite platform. And I have so many questions for you to start off with. Um, Honestly, I think it was, was it last week or the week before we were meant to meet up? I got really deep on your TikTok. Really? (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I couldn't, I I was just going to grab a few things and like see where it took me. But then I was literally consumed in a rabbit hole for like... An amount of time I'm not proud of, but it was so good. Well, I mean, I guess I'm very happy to hear that. Obviously, if it's if it's enticing content, then I'm doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. Um, but it definitely took me a long time to be able to find my voice when it comes to TikTok. I think um, for a long time, there was like that cringe factor I always talk about where people were like, so like, oh, TikTok's a platform for like, young people and it was like Mm -hmm. came about during the pandemic with like kind of the dancing and all of that which is super fun and I actually love that part of TikTok I don't think it's like cringe I think it's cute um but there's so much valuable information and I think as I've been building my business over the past few years I was more relegated to Instagram and um I've predominantly focused on Instagram and it was so hard to grow my audience and I was doing everything and I think it was just so saturated at that point so then seeing something like TikTok and being able to have an audience and grow um, in natural ways and it's just like you can reach more people I think it's I think it's such a great platform for connection and community and a lot Mm -hmm. more conversations surrounding vulnerability and that's kind of why And that's when my TikTok started opening up is when I started being vulnerable and sharing my story um, versus being kind of that curated version of myself that was more on Instagram because we were so accustomed to that aesthetic that Mm -hmm. people love on Instagram, which I love. I love beautiful images and aesthetic videos. Like who doesn't love that stuff? It looks it looks nice. (laughs) So it's like, you know, but I think that's why I gravitated more towards TikTok was kind of this vulnerability, authenticity, and accepting nature that was available on this platform versus um, on other platforms. Yeah, yeah. Instagram, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, how Instagram is, for lack of a better word, such a fake representation of real life. And I was thinking I could pull up some pictures from, like, many years ago where the picture looks amazing, but I'm like, girl, do you even know what I was going through in this photo? Like, this is not a true representation at all of who I was um, and what I was going through and feeling. So that's one thing about TikTok. Obviously, it's still curated to a degree, but that um, real vulnerability and the support that TikTok brings with your healing journey. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I feel like there's 
you get to a point where you're very comfortable on the app and you start sharing more and more and the support from random strangers that comes in, you're like, these people are more supportive than like actual people that I know in real life. This is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And I think like my shift, cause I, with my business side, I talk a lot about social impact and female entrepreneurship. And so mm -hmm. when I got on the platform, I predominantly was talking about that. Um, and what was lacking was I was kind of not inserting my personality in any of my content. I was kind of just presenting information and it wasn't getting any traction because mm -hmm. people want to relate to you. They want to feel comfortable. It's like the shift we've seen in business and in, in consumerism and everything. We want to be yeah. able to relate to people, connect with them. And then the minute I started sharing, it was like a, an actual switch. The minute I started sharing like some of these more vulnerable, deeper sides of me alongside all of that other stuff is mm -hmm. when I started con actually connecting with the audience. And then because I share such kind of like deep personal things, a lot of people share deep personal things back. And I'm like, this is like so like it feels like such a an honor and a privilege and I want to give every sometimes like you know if a video goes viral and there's so many comments of people I spend hours responding to people because I'm like they spent time like telling me this like sometimes like traumatic things that they've gone through in yeah. relation to whatever topic I was talking about and I just like want to hold that space for them I'll, you know and so it's like <laughs> I've I've really appreciated other people's vulnerability in response to my own. And I think it's created more authentic community and connections, which I really like. Yeah, definitely. And there's times too, it happened to me earlier this week where it does go the opposite way when you're speaking that truth that can be a little bit confronting for people if they're not ready for it. I had to turn one of my comments off on one of my videos so that um, really you know I was like okay you guys can watch the video but just reel it in <laughs> yeah I haven't had like a super intense video of anybody being like attacky or it being misinterpreted the wrong way um but that can also and I've seen the videos that that can happen on and then I just it's kind of like People can be, just on the internet in general, people can be very supportive and like loving all of these things. But like you said, if something is a little bit, makes them confront something they're not ready to confront and whatever, and I'm not sure what the context of this particular video was, but in mm -hmm. general in life, when we're confronted with something that maybe we're not able to visit within ourselves just yet, it kind mm -hmm. of puts us on the defense, right? We're automatically going to defensive mode in one way or another to defend whatever behavior action etc and then it can kind of it just doesn't come off super well versus instead of taking a second being like i wonder what they mean by this and why is it like triggering me in this way and is it worth me responding in a negative way or should i just keep that to myself like maybe that's yeah. something i need to work on personally so that's i mean i'm i'm sorry that you went through that <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine but um I don't often waste my breath on those things anyway. I'm just like either block or just turn the comments off or delete the comment or whatever it is. Um, but you actually posted a TikTok 
I don't know, it was a while ago, where I was like, I thought I was the only one that thought this. And it was about when you're in therapy and you feel yourself about to cry, but you don't want to cry because you don't want to ruin your therapist's day. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I was literally like, oh my gosh. It was one of the most aha moments I've had on TikTok, to be totally honest, because I was like, this is something I really need to work on. And I need to tell my therapist that I feel that way because it's true. I don't want to go there because I like, she's such a wonderful woman. And I'm like, I'm going to just ruin her day. I'm going to bring the mood down despite the fact I'm paying for it. Um, so I thought that was so yeah. funny. There is definitely, and that was something I had to come to terms with. I've been in therapy consistently now for about two years. I've been working, um, my therapist's name is Rebecca, actually. No <laughs> way! So, she yeah, sounds lovely. She, <laughs> she truly is. She is a gem. And it took me a long time to be able to cry in front of her um, because I just felt this overwhelming guilt. Like, it was going to ruin her day. And even though I know logically like hey she has been trained for this it's her it's technically her job like you're paying for this time and space mm -hmm. um and it took so long for me to unlearn that and having her like coach me through that and be like it's okay like you can have emotions you can cry and for me that came from you know like my childhood and my family dynamics and the relationships i've been in where no one ever held space for me so i always had to hold it for myself so someone else actually holding space for me to like feel big and hard emotions was so foreign and felt so uncomfortable even more so than the crying itself it was like oh my god somebody else is witnessing me having this emotion and mm -hmm. i feel almost like under the microscope i feel like wow, maybe she's not going to want to work with me anymore. Maybe it's like not worth having me as a patient because I'm like unhinged and it's like not actually that way at all, right? Yeah, I know. And coming from the, uh, like, it, it took me a while. I still struggle with it. But coming from the other perspective, like when I'm doing energy healing sessions with my own clients and they cry it's like such an achievement for me because i'm like yes we're having a breakthrough like they're releasing and it's the total opposite like feeling into that role where i'm on the other end of it that was one of the main things that really helped me because i was like that's when you feel like you're doing something right and we're getting somewhere you know what i mean mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it can be hard, but it's nice because then you've had both perspectives of being the person holding the space and then you can then be like, oh, this is how someone else can hold space for me. So it kind of gives you that nice um, perspective, which is really cool. For me, it was just like, it took a long time and some coaching and now like my, I think like two weeks ago, um, I've been having, I've been going through some like health stuff. So it's been affecting me and I feel like I've been a little bit more, like my emotions are a little more on my sleeve than I would typically like them to be. And mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, it was like the moment my therapist and I connected online, I was like crying and I was <laughs> like instantaneous. And I was like, wow, this is quite a shift in the past two years. Like I used to never cry. And now it's like the minute we got on and I'm like, 
just bawling my eyes out. Yeah. Such a huge shift. But that's good for me, right? I'm like, this is a this is progress, even though it feels like, oh my God, like control yourself. <laughs> like, well, we've been told so much growing up, don't cry, don't cry. Like as soon as you start crying and someone's like trying to comfort you and they're like, don't cry, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, sometimes yeah. you just need to like get it out, you know? And yeah. I have no problem crying by myself. Like I'll be in the fetal position, just letting it out. But it's, <laughs> it's when someone else is watching you and no one thinks they're pretty when they're crying either. So it's like you're on, if you do a telehealth, you're on telehealth with your therapist and you can see yourself crying. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you experience that and you see how like, your face is all puffy and red and like I have to make sure that the the my camera part is switched to the side so I can't see that so I can still go there without that reflection back I'm like is that really what I look like right because then like the ego comes into play and you're like oh my god I look horrible and it totally distracts you from like the the meat of the conversation of like what you're actually doing um, yeah but yeah it's it's very interesting I'm the same way I've always been and I think like in terms of the conversations we have growing up and all of those things of don't cry it's okay instead of being told it's okay to cry you're saying like don't cry and mm -hmm. it's like that gets slowly programmed into your brain and then unfortunately I've also had these kind of like relationship dynamics where I remember one person said to me once when I felt like I could open up and like cry to them and they told me like how like like dramatic or something I was or like how terrible it like was to see me cry or like something that made me like feel really bad about the fact that I like was crying in front of this person like they basically alluded to me being like too much and then so I just kind of like internalized that right where it was like oh I can't like hold they can't hold space for me when I'm like actually feeling like these emotions and so for a long time I've had to um just come to terms with being okay with crying and I'm not quite there yet I'll be completely honest like I can't cry in front of everybody my therapist is one person um sometimes I even struggle crying in front of like my sister who's like my best friend friend and I think there's also like a shtick because I was the oldest daughter growing up and so I always had to kind of like keep it together keep the family together and not like um have like any kind of like explosive emotional reaction so that I could remain stable um and so there's still like those those people and I'm working on it I'm, I'm that's like something that slowly coming to terms with being vulnerable around people but also you have to surround yourself with the right people and sometimes they're just not the right people not my sister but the other people who I've who I've been around it's like you have to figure out who your people are and when you can feel safe in those spaces yeah there's so much good stuff that you just said that I was like yes that's the fact that I'm well I'm the youngest child but um similar but different um there's a big age gap seven years between my brother and I and mm -hmm. I was always the I guess like the good child and he was he was I don't want to say the bad child but like he definitely had a rough go when he was growing up 
just his personality in general. Um, but anyway, the, aside from that, for me, for the crying, I felt like I was like the straw that would break the camel's back if I was to add any more pressure to a situation. Right. So I realized this like when I was like, why can't I cry like in front of people? Um, and I was like, because I'm always so used to, you know, isolating myself and dealing with that stuff alone by myself because God forbid if anyone else saw it in the family, no one could handle it. You know what I mean? Like that holding space was not even an option. Mm -hmm. So there was that, but then also the programming as women that were too much. Like we just were crazy. We're emotional. Like we can't have these emotions because automatically we're like you were saying, like unhinged or on our periods or yeah. hormonal or something like that. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I think all humans are emotional creatures. Like we're meant to have emotions. Like we're not meant to be robots, but we've become so like, almost like that is idyllic in some way or another. And the reason I say it like that is because my therapist would always also point out, she was like, cause I'd be like annoyed that I would be having these feelings or emotions. And she'd be like, yeah, well, you know, it's unfortunate that you can't be a robot. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know, that's true. It's like, why am I expecting myself to be this? Like, I'm supposed to be human. And I think we've done a disservice to women in diminishing their emotional responses because I think one thing that's so beautiful about women is that we have so much emotional intelligence. And I think that that is something that's been neglected as a as a part of being just like overall kind of like successful in one way or another. Like I think mm -hmm. emotional intelligence really needs to be up there. When we talk about the leadership that we need in the world, like emotional intelligence, intelligence should be right up there with all of the other traits that you look for in like in positive leadership in our world. And it's been so pushed aside as something that's not useful. And I think that does a disservice to women and then um, or people who identify as women and who are comfortable with, you know, that gender designation. And then for people who are, you know, male, they, society's kind of done them a disservice because they're not allowed to be emotional. And so then there's this repressing on the other side. It's like, nobody be emotional. Women, we're going to make you irrational because you have more emotions and men, don't be like women because then we will categorize you as irrational and irrelevant. And it's like, what the heck? How did this happen? Like we've become so disconnected and it does a disservice to like both sides where you see how it shows up in toxic masculinity and just like patriarchal standards. And it's just like, it constantly feeds into each other and it's like, mm, so this isn't really, this isn't great. Yeah. And also, Something that just came through for me when you said that was a lot of women on the other side with men when they cry, because we're so not used to seeing that, it gives a lot of women like the ick. Like they'll, like the number of women that I've heard on either podcasts or in just, you know, in real life chatting about dating and whatnot, 
they're like, and then he started crying. And then I was just like, you know, couldn't handle it, got the ick. And I'm like, that's part of the problem too, is like, we are also programmed that men shouldn't cry. <laughs> yeah, that it's like not masculine enough or, or something. And I, I get that because I get that internalized conditioning, right? It's like, you have to actively undo that. Yeah. And then there's like the question of the individual, right? Like how emotional is that person being like too soon in your dating dynamic? Like if somebody cried on a first date, I'd probably think that was a little bit of a red flag. And I probably would be like, I don't know about this. <laughs> but, you know, like how, what is the nature of that relationship? And I think that's something important to ask. And also, if it does give you the ick, like that's fine. That's like your individual approach. But I think the important thing to ask yourself is why at that yeah. point. Like, is it is it because this relationship is fresh and it feels uncomfortable to be that vulnerable with someone you've just met? Is it because you just generally are uncomfortable with men expressing feelings and emotions? And that's something you should consider because then how would you have like a very like secure partnership later on in a fulfilling mm -hmm. kind of romantic relationship? So I think like we're all a little at fault, but some of it's internalized programming. And I don't think the automatic response is necessarily a bad thing. I think it tells you something and then it should encourage you to ask a question um in order to understand yourself better versus kind of just writing somebody else off yes totally that inner dialogue of what's this showing me am i projecting my own insecurities onto this situation that is something that doesn't i feel like get talked about enough with people especially <laughs> especially when you're scrolling TikTok, but in general, why, and sometimes it can be one end of the spectrum, which is you're over intellectualizing a situation mm -hmm. and not just allowing yourself to feel the feelings, but having somewhere in between that question or that dialogue of asking, okay, what is this? Why is this making me feel uncomfortable? What is this showing me? What can I learn from this? um has th has this emotion come up before what was that situation like asking all those questions i feel like there's a lack of that a lot and we just like to point the finger at the other person and go well it was because they did this mm -hmm. and i mean you made a great point and just people are our mirrors and i think we forget that and i think mm -hmm. like I've shifted my mindset. So like every time I get frustrated or annoyed or any kind of emotion towards somebody else, that's not like maybe considered a positive emotion towards that person. Instead of being like, hmm, about them, I'm like, ooh, like what is that saying about me? What does that mm -hmm. say? Like if they like are speaking of themselves in this way, like say take confidence, for example, like someone is confident and maybe like I wasn't feeling super confident in myself so I was like oh they're just cocky they're blah 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 but then when I look a little bit deeper I'm like but do I feel comfortable in myself to like assert confidence in a situation a scenario a, a conversation like anything like that is that what that's telling me why like their confidence is some 
for some reason annoying me in one way or another? Is it because I lack it myself and I kind of am maybe envious of them having that confidence and I would want mm, it? Yeah. And so I think, yeah, people, if we all switched our mindset into instead of being like pointing the finger, blaming, and instead of being like circle it back around to us and just say, you know, what's it telling me? Then I think, I think the whole world would probably <laughs> totally shift. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful? But yeah, that part of envy that you brought up, I say this about jealousy when you feel jealous about, and jealousy is a totally normal, healthy emotion to feel that nobody likes to talk about because it's uncomfortable, but it's a part of, you know, everyday life. And when you feel jealous towards somebody, it's often just an indication that you desire or want like what they have. Like it's not necessarily about them. It's like, oh, okay, maybe you didn't even realize that was a want or need that you had within yourself. And okay, so now we've realized that's not being met. Why is it not being met, you know? And I'm only saying this because I truly, I'm not trying to preach it. I have been there so many times where I'm like, why am I, why am I feeling this way towards this person? I love and appreciate and they're a wonderful friend or um, even an acquaintance. Like I should be happy for them. And sometimes it's just the fact that you have to really have that conversation with yourself. And it's a hard conversation. It's a hard conversation. <laughs> it's it's not easy. And like none of this work, this internal work is ever really easy, right? Because it forces you to detach from your the ego side of yourself that is defending yourself, sticking up for yourself. And it forces you to say like, hey, how am I contributing to this problem or situation or anything like that? And I think specifically with jealousy is a really really hard one because it's hard to then distinguish oh that's maybe something that is a need of mine that needs to be met versus then treating that person poorly because like they represent it externally like I feel like or like you know just like mm, I don't even know but it's like like jealousy, I think, is a, is a really tough one to navigate because it's yeah. like, how do you tell that person, I'm feeling jealous of you. Like, right. Nobody has that, no one I'm... really has that conversation. But it's like, it would be interesting if we could open up that dialogue and say, you know, I'm feeling like a little jealous of that fact. And I think it's highlighting for me that, you know, I'm in need of X, Y, and Z. So I'm sorry if I reacted this way. Do you know what I mean? Like if we could like shift it like that, but I think mm -hmm. jealousy is still, jealousy is a tough one um, because it's like, it is super normal, but it is also kind of taboo. Right? It's very taboo, but it's, I think coming back to the like limiting beliefs around that worthiness that nobody likes to look at it's a real hard yeah. one for all of this that I've been talking about. I'm only ex being able to speak about it because I've experienced it. But worthiness, when I don't feel worthy, forget it. Like everything goes out the window. Yeah. Self-worth is a huge piece of the puzzle that a lot of us are missing. And I think for me, I'm still working every single day on talking to myself and, and 
vocalizing that I am worthy of having these things. I am worthy of feeling at peace. I'm worthy of, you know, having my needs met. Like, and I think that's another thing for me that was particularly ingrained in childhood was like, you're not worthy of having those things. And then the relationships that I then pursued kind of solidified, you're not worthy of having like a faithful partner. My ex cheated on me. You know what I mean? Like you're not worthy of anything better than that. And I think we yeah. get stuck because there is like a weird thing about like with the limiting beliefs. It's also like there, we don't want to come off as almost like boastful or like pretentious in any way. And I think that can prohibit people from actually advocating for what they, what they want. Yeah. And I think like in terms of like relationships, um, because like this all ties into like women being like too much, like asking something of your partner. Um, I remember I've seen, um, more healthy couple dynamics that I've witnessed and more unhealthy couple dynamics that I've witnessed. And I used to relate more to the unhealthy dynamics. And until I started being like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't appreciate when people talk to me like this. Oh, you know what? I need to have a boundary around this because I don't like this. You know what? I'm not going to accept or tolerate this in my life. And the minute you start doing those things, the less you relate to the dysfunction and the more you start relating to a healthy relationship. And when I was more in this dysfunctional space, when I saw the healthy space, it seemed like one, it was unattainable for me. And two, there was just, just such like a disconnect between the two. And it felt like when those people were talking about the kind of love and relationship dynamic they had, I was like, that doesn't exist. So it was like, almost like I was imposing that belief in my own system. And then you start to do that internal work and you're like, wait a second, all this conditioning made me so dysfunctional. And this is actually something that operates more functionally and is more like ideal. And why did I mm -hmm. convince myself, not just me convince myself, but it's like you kind of get so much information that you're inundated with at all times. And then you get that subconscious programming, you get that consistent programming from the people you choose. And then once you start to be like, okay, you know what? And you start looking internally, suddenly none of that matters anymore. All that external stuff that people want or impose upon you. And you get to decide for yourself, like I am worthy of having healthy functioning relationships. And it's such a switch and it seems, the funny thing is, is it seems so like simple, right? It seems yeah. like so bare minimum, like it should be the standard, but I think more people relate to this dysfunctional dynamic where that seems so far away, the healthy dynamic, than the healthy dynamic. And I think society, we're kind of shifting as we become more open about talking about how do we heal ourselves? Therapy is like not taboo anymore. Yes. That is a, yes. a norm. Like, you know, as we're shifting there, I think we're going to shift away from accepting and tolerating dysfunctional dynamics. But there's so much that goes to play with that. You know what I mean? It's It takes a lot of work to undo that conditioning. 
Yeah, I mean, even like, I mean, I'm a child of divorce, the big D word. Um, but like my parents' generation, like you said, therapy was not normalized. So how can we use those relationships as like a reference point if they weren't necessarily even permitted or allowed to do the work anyway on that healing journey and um i'm lucky now my my husband and i when we met it was i've had definitely had very up and down <laughs> relationship history but i had done so much work on my beliefs around love and relationships by that point, like intense work that I was finally able to be what I would expect in a relationship, like being able to show up that way and the kind of setting the standard by just simply like walking the walk and talking the talk because you're showing how it's supposed to be. And my husband's ex was, they had a very turbulent relationship. So there was a lot of unlearning from his side as well. Um, and it was really nothing to do with me, but it was, it was like foreign ground for him. So he would, he would have moments of like freak out. Like he's like, this is, this is too like calm and quiet and, there's nothing like when's the shoe gonna drop kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that took a while for 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 that to go away, but uh, yeah, we're we're definitely in a good place now. But um, did your parents stay together when you were younger, or did they separate? No, I came from a very um, abusive household growing up, and so my parents we actually it is. It's like such a random story, but um, my dad was an addict and um, my mom, she basically like took us in the middle of the night, like me and my siblings, we like left mm -hmm. and we, I never saw my dad again because he passed away. We like left and moved and um, so there was that separation and then my dad passed away when I was 10. And then I was raised um, predominantly by my mom and a series of boyfriends slash husbands that were all toxic in their own right. <laughs> so it was like I kept seeing this kind of like chaotic love, like kind of like what you're talking about with your ex was like, you know, my mom and dad, when I look at it in like retrospect, when I'm like, that was a terrible relationship but she always talked about how much they loved each other right and then i'd be like once i started learning in therapy what trauma bonds were mm -hmm. then it made a lot more sense right because yeah. then you're like oh because i think there's so much judgment that goes into specifically when you like towards women who are in abusive dynamics it's reciprocal whatnot why didn't you leave? And then once you learn about trauma bonds, you kind of understand a little bit deeper about how complex it is to leave those kind of situations and dynamics. Mm -hmm. And so for me, 
for me, I never really witnessed in my household a kind, peaceful, loving environment. It was always chaotic and conditional. And mm -hmm. so that is something that's been kind of my biggest, um, it's probably going to be my biggest teacher throughout my life is romantic partnerships in particular, because I have amazing friendships with so much love and so much like secure attachment, but it's the romantic side where I am like almost like, you know, swimming in the dark. Like I'm just trying to figure out what works for me. And I was in you know, a long-term relationship with an addict, with a narcissist, with a cheater, which was kind of the combination of my mom and dad. <laughs> so he kind of like filled that void of all of the things that I had seen from a caregiver. Um, and then that destroyed me, right? And it's like, you have, I think we all have the capacity to love so much, but sometimes we put it in the wrong person and then you lose yourself and that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened to me and what kind of triggered my healing journey was here I was trying to help somebody help themselves for so long I was like you have a problem even after he and I have to like have so much compassion for myself for why I didn't leave him after the first time he cheated on me and it's still something I you know wrangle with internally where I'm like why didn't 23 year old me hit the road? You know what I mean? And so I've had to come to terms with that. And there was obviously more lessons to learn in that process and can't be judgmental because hindsight is 2020. But, you know, what happened to me was I became a shell of myself trying to hold up a grown man and mm. try to be his support system I had no support system and I just thought that love was hard that and then it kind of made me feel like it's really doesn't seem worth it <laughs> like you know because then I started having those it's like it's such a struggle and there's no benefit and that's and that's like how toxic obviously that relationship was because I see people who have loving, kind, compassionate relationships who grow together and support each other's growth. And I'm like, oh wait, no, love can be beautiful. It's just, I've seen a very like tarnished version of it. Mm -hmm. And it was really disheartening for a while. I think something you mentioned earlier was you had to be that version of yourself before you could like have this partnership that's like a healthy dynamic and I think there's so much truth to the fact that you have to love yourself and show up for yourself and not be willing to ever lose yourself for another person because if they require that of you that's not love no love is not having somebody become a deflated version of themselves for your benefit and that's kind of like where narcissism comes into my story because that was like, I saw a lot of these narcissistic yeah. dynamics where it's like, they don't care how much they take from somebody because once they've taken everything they can from you, they'll just move on to the next person. Yeah. And I can never understand that mindset because I just 
I'm totally kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum where I'm like, I want to help you be the best version of yourself. <laughs> and so obviously those two are like moths to a flame, yeah. right? <laughs> totally, totally. But I think it's also important to note that if somebody is an addict, they can have narcissistic tendencies, very, very intense ones, um, mm -hmm. especially if they're in immense amount of pain because their whole world is revolving around that pain, right? So. Yeah. I don't speak about it a lot, but my my brother is an addict and he went through some intense rehab and relapsed like pretty much immediately after. And it's this constant um, like back and forth of not like trying not to enable, trying to like let them on like mm -hmm. let them on their own journey but uh yeah they i've never been able to completely definitively say if it's the like addict in him or if it's like a narcissistic personality i can never truly you know give an answer on that but they're very similar um, mm -hmm. and I've experienced other addicts as well in life, but I feel like the word, and he, I'm not saying your ex wasn't, but on TikTok, that word gets thrown around so much. Mm -hmm. Like my ex was a narcissist or this person's a narcissist. And I'm mm -hmm. like, hold the phone. <laughs> not yeah. everybody is yeah. a narcissist. That's very true. And I will say that, um, the term narcissist my yeah. therapist and i have kind of like dissected and she yeah. loves to utilize this kind of spectrum of narcissism where all human beings reside on it right and one side of it is like the confidence and kind of like the nice nicer traits of narcissism right where it's like confidence belief in yourself those kind of things that actually some people like myself who had like low self-worth and low self-confidence could use a little bit more on the narcissism spectrum mm -hmm. and then there's the extreme side obviously where it's like more sociopathic you lack empathy you don't care about how you affect other people and it is kind of a very hard thing to toggle between because I've been around both narcissists and addicts, and there are a lot of crossover between the way in which they approach people and dynamics. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely can be a term that is thrown around a lot. And I will say with the addict side, there is like, all of this is like mental, right? It's like everything is like addiction, is a, is a mental illness, right? It's some, mm -hmm. it's like the, a chemistry imbalance in, in their brain. And a lot of the times people, it's something that you have to, like you have to put in the effort to want to better yourself. And I think where we can get trapped is like you said, in that enabling kind of space where you want to support somebody, you want to have empathy towards people who struggle with addiction and it is, the majority of the time masking something that's deep and underlying and until they're ready to face that then you know it's like you can't really do much for them and that's like a very hard lesson that i had to learn myself from 
you know, having years of enabling behavior, thinking that it was my role to, to save them. Yeah. And the reality is like, you can't do it. You can't save anybody else. Like the only person you can save is yourself. And I think it's, I used to think it was so noble to give up everything that you had for somebody else until I realized that it's not noble. It's just, you know, it's, it's a lot of the times not worth it because you're worth living a beautiful life Mm -hmm. and you don't need to lose yourself to then be, you know, live a good life or like be a good person, whatever that means for you. Yeah. Oh, so much truth in that. It's, I like sometimes I just have to marinate in what people say I'm like yes um do you find yourself with your dad being an addict struggling or having noticed addictive personalities within yourself so that's what's really interesting is I've never had that hankering for substance which I honestly my mom actually was like from a very early age was like your dad has this and blah 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 you have to be careful because your brain can be predispositioned predispositioned towards it and I've never been knock on wood great I'm very grateful that I just don't have that inclination I think it's shown up in other ways like addictive personality types um like through overworking or over exercising in the past things like that But in terms of like substance abuse, it's never been something like I really, I love that it's like now trendy to like not drink on TikTok. (laughs) Everybody's like, yeah, sober, curious. And I'm like, I love that that's a thing, but I've never been a big drinker and I've never been really big into um, substance in general. I will say that um, there's been some benefit for me personally with like microdosing, and that was um, something that I took a lot of years and a lot of research to be okay with trying. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of like addiction and personality type, that's something that I haven't struggled with. Um, so which I'm, I'm grateful for. And that's why I try to have a lot of empathy for those who do. Um, but I'm grateful it's not been my, in my basket of things I have to work through. Yeah. It's interesting. You brought up the addiction to like work and exercise because there's like acceptable addictions in society that people don't even acknowledge as an addiction. Um, Mm -hmm relationships can be one of them and yeah just constantly working so that you are so busy you can't even have time or energy to look at yourself um uh, personally I've gone through an array of different like addictions but with different things and Yes, I definitely dabbled in substances and drinking for sure, but addictions in other ways as well. Like, um, I wouldn't say over-exercising, but a lot of, like, body 
image stuff that's again acceptable that people don't love to talk about or people might not notice because especially in LA the number of like health diet trends and fads and things like that and like I truly believe that a lot of like and I'm sorry if you guys are vegans but I feel like a lot of things like veganism for example I'm like they're kind of like glorified eating disorders in a way like not just vegans but like any kind of very strict regimented diet um and I say that with a grain of salt of course I'm literally celiac I cannot eat gluten but gluten is like very trendy as well Mm -hmm. um but I'm going down a, a rabbit hole here but basically Addiction comes in all forms. (laughs) No, I agree with you. And I think like it is, it's interesting you say that there's acceptable forms of it. I think we live in a capitalist society that, that promotes success and money, success and money. And then that is in relation to how hard are you working? How productive are you? And that results in us overworking. And I think you're right. It is almost applauded. And, um, I always refer sometimes to some of my trauma responses that have been from childhood and et cetera, um, like as ideal trauma responses, like people applaud you for them, like perfectionism, overachieving, mm-hmm. overworking, hyperproductivity, all of these things that kind of move you further away from yourself, but closer towards other people's image of what a successful person is. And that is just kind of dangerous in a sense because then you just like become further and further away from yourself and I think that those things serve a purpose because a lot of the times like for me when I was younger when I would go to the gym and work out and it's still very much cathartic and for my mental health more than anything else when I work out go to the gym go on a run It allows me to process things. And I think before I was able to afford having a therapist, that was, the gym was like my therapy. Dancing was my therapy. Like a lot of these things were almost like placeholders because at that time in my life, I didn't have the capacity, the means, the space to be able to dissect a little bit deeper. And it wasn't until I was in a space where I was safe. I had moved out from being living with my ex where I was constantly walking on eggshells. I was living alone and starting therapy and starting to explore these deeper topics for myself that I no longer felt inclined to work myself to the bone, to exercise until I was so exhausted I would just go to bed. You know, those kind of things. And I think everything serves a time and a place but you have to be able to let go of it at at one point or another to move forward and not always use that as your only like kind of crutch in in one way or another yeah yeah exercise going to the gym or whatever kind of exercise like you were saying with dance i always say is a really great tool but it's never going to like replace like the hard therapy unfortunately I wish it did (laughs) 
<laughs> but like, I think so too, because I'd probably have more money in my savings account if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, just a few Pilates classes and that'll do it. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think as well, like when you get to a point of um, starting to actually unravel that those trauma responses or going into the shadow self or whatever you want to call it, but your whole identity is like wrapped up in that. And now you have to figure out like who the fuck you are without all of that. And who am I as a person if I don't, now have I unlearned that trauma response and I no longer need to be in a toxic relationship. And now I'm like single and by myself and alone, and who who is this person? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I had kind of that same like identity crisis happen to me, where I was like, "Who am I when I detach from my external successes and like all of these yes. things that I defined myself from for so long?" And um, I think that a lot of those traits are like still a part of me like I think being ambitious and like trying to like build things and be innovative and creative and do those kind of things are uh, parts of maybe some of the overachieving and perfectionism and I think it's like kind of broken off into like some better traits and I think they're still useful at times but I still don't quite know who I am. <laughs> so it's like something that I'm working through every day. It's like I learn something new about myself. Um, the more like every single day I learn something about my capacity to handle certain people, my boundaries that I need in order to feel good. Like for so long, I was so detached from everything. And it's like, okay, well now it's all it's not like I'm starting from a blank slate, but a little bit feels like I'm really boiling myself down to, okay, who am I when nobody is around? What kind of person am I without anything external influencing me? And I think a lot of that insight can come from um, meditation also and like journaling and kind of delving a little bit deeper into being like, okay, I consider myself this as a person. And then the more you like reduce it down, the more you can see, oh, like I have a kind heart. Like that's like something that's part of who I am. And all of these like things that I try to achieve, it's like boils down to, oh, like I have compassion for other people. And like, that's how it's sprouted into these things. But I think, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an identity crisis, especially if you've been like, a type A perfectionist, overachiever, like all of those things that I've been and still am working to detach from. It's like, who, who am I when you let go of all the labels? Yeah, I feel like that happened a lot during COVID as well, when people were either let go from their jobs or they couldn't go to work. And it definitely happened to me. Um, as well, where I was like, okay, who am I without this job? Like we wrap ourselves so much in career and like people, you'll ask someone like, 
who are you? And they'll say something like, I'm a teacher or mm -hmm. I'm in marketing or whatever it is. And that's kind of their identity. When you take that away, who are you? It's a really big question. And just like you said, I'm still figuring it out. I think if you're, if you ever think you have it down, there's a problem. Like your life is constantly teaching you something. Yeah, I think we're constantly evolving. And that's something that I've just, I love to control the outcomes. And so I love to know what to expect. Um, it helps me have less anxiety. But the reality is you really can't control much in your day in, day out life. You can kind of control like a little bubble of your own environment. But in terms of like everything external, what's being thrown at you, you can't really have a lot of control over that. And I think the more you detach from trying to control and label, the more you're able to embrace nuance and be able to see different parts of yourself that maybe are more closed off when you're so confined in one specific definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. I almost want to just leave it there because that was so like just the cherry on top of the cake. Um, I also never, I say this every podcast, I never know how to end these things, but I always know it's, it's good when I'm like, yes, like you've just said some truth and I want that to be what people marinate on. Like the last mic drop. <laughs> yes, the last mic drop. That's exactly how it feels. Um, so that being said, do you want to plug any of your socials or yes, your business? Absolutely. So, yeah, you can find. So my website is themodernalternor.com. On all my socials, I am modalternor. That is M-O-D dot a-l-t-r-u-n-e-u-r so i know it can be a little confusing um but you can find me there feel free to connect send me an email i love connecting with community and answering questions um and thank you so much for having me on i feel like this was a great conversation we talked about crying all the time we talked about men and the patriarchy we talked about jealousy we we kind of like hopped around i feel like it was a really good conversation i i agree it was absolutely a total pleasure and like i said at the beginning everything that i had planned it always goes out the window because <laughs> the conversation has a mind of its own and takes us where it needs to go um but yeah, thank you so much. It was it was a pleasure.